You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Dr. Florencia McAllister. She works at University of Texas, MD Anderson, Department of Clinical Cancer Prevention, Division of Cancer Prevention and Population Sciences. So, uh, Florencia, thank you for coming. How are you doing? Yes. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. Well, please uh, tell me about your work at MD Anderson. Yes, of course. So um, I, I focus on seeing patients uh, with pancreatic cancer and also patients um, at high risk for pancreatic cancer. Um, we work on uh, screening uh, these populations. Our, our long-term goal is to develop uh, better um, preventive and therapeutic strategies for pancreatic cancer. So if you want, I can tell you a little bit more about the, um, the work that we've recently done. Well, tell me a little bit about um, pancreatic cancer, I guess, is a very deadly, low survival rate form of cancer. Can you just you know, give a few words on uh, the seriousness of it? Yes, of course. Um, so so it, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very aggressive uh, malignancy. And, you know, despite all the knowledge that we have about the, the mechanisms and the physiopathology, the progress in therapy has really been uh, very slow. Um, so, you know, the, the survival rate still, you know, below the, the two digits, it's around 9% uh, in five years for patients diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Right. So what, what are you working on in particular? What's your uh, thinking and research about in regards to it? Yeah, so, so mainly um, I've been very interested on, on understanding sort of what is the interaction of the, the immune system with, um, you know, with cancer from the, from the very early stages, trying to understand why at some point cancer can emerge and cannot be visible to the immune system and how to, you know, sort of target that and, and kind of change that process. So that has been kind of the, the, the focus of, of our lab. And we are very uh, curious um, about all the uh, environmental changes that happen around tumor formation from an environmental immune perspective and from a microbial perspective. Yeah, I saw that in the description. Uh, do tumors have their own microbiome, or do they attract uh, specific bacteria? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so we actually started um, looking into that after um, we we published a few years ago that there's a uh, type of T cell called TH17 cells, um, which actually play an important role in in tumor initiation. And and we actually asked the question, why do we have those T cells in the tumors in the first place? Um, the, the, The real job of those cells in the body is to fight infections. So we thought, why would we have those cells in the first place? So that 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 was really the motivation um, for us to look at um, the presence of bacteria to understand again what triggers the presence of those cells in the tumors. And indeed, we found um, the presence of bacteria in tumors in in murine um, tumors um, and also in human tumors. So that that was around the time that. Um, and Dr. Strassman at the Weizmann Institute described the presence of uh, bacteria within pancreatic tumors. So that that was really what um, made us very interested about understanding further on those bacteria in tumors. Will you characterize the bacteria on tumors, a microbiome of the tumor, or just you know one or two strains or species that happen to appear on tumors? Yeah. So, so yeah. So we focus on on the on the microbiome, on all the microorganisms, because again, when when uh, Ravid described uh, the presence of bacteria, um, there were some species, some genuses that were uh, predominant. But we really wanted to understand: is is there any role for these bacteria, or at least is there any association of some bacteria with better outcomes? Um, and that's that's what we decided to do. We basically used 16S um, to amplify DNA of um, bacteria species, and with the idea of you know further, deeper characterize um, what are those species present on on tumors. Well, doesn't that seem to indicate that the pancreas itself has its own microbiome? Has that been studied? Yeah. Yes, exactly, and 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 that's that's what we think. Definitely, the pancreas has its own microbiome, and um, it's it's likely different from the the microbiome in in tumors as as we actually shown in our, our study. We looked basically on patients that were going to go to surgery uh, at the microbiome in the uh, stool of the patients of the tumors and then the adjacent uh, area which is never completely normal but sort of the area that is surrounding the tumor that doesn't have dysplasia. And we we found the uh, characteristic microbiome in those three areas of the same patient. But but what was really interesting is that there was around a 20% overlap between the bacteria found in the tumors and bacteria coming from the gut, um, whereas those those um, bacteria were absent in the normal adjacent uh, region, sort of suggesting that there's a specific sort of axis or communication between the gut and the tumor. So that that was one of the uh, very interesting things that uh, we found. Well, to my knowledge, there's a couple of different kinds, at least, of pancreatic cancer. So the tumors tend to form in certain areas of the pancreas, depending on the kind, or is it randomly anywhere in the pancreas they form? Yeah, well, I mean, the most frequent are in the head, but there, there are also uh, tumors in the body and tumors in the tail. And... Um, you know, we we have not um, uh, really focused on that, uh, but I'm, but I know of other groups who uh, have been interested on on understanding if there are microbial differences that will dictate where the tumor will locate, which I think it will it will kind of make sense uh, because of the different flow dynamics, etc. Um, but yes, that would be that's something very interesting. Well, what if every different cell type in the pancreas and in the body has its own 
unique constituent microbiome where you think it only occurs perhaps at the organ level. I mean, you're seeing it at the tumor level, it looks like, and a tumor right. is, you know, I don't know, a few billion cells. You know, I don't right. know how heterogeneous they are, but, but what are your thoughts? How far down does this go? Yeah, and no. How specialized are microbial right. colonies to their uh, there? Yeah, no, I mean, th those are great questions. I mean, in our experience, when we did look at the uh, tumor microbiome and compared patients uh, that had tumors at different locations, we did not find differences or signatures of tumor microbiome according, depending on the on the location. Although I have to say, you know, the, the number of uh, patients with uh, like tail, for instance, location was much lower. So we didn't design a study that had power to detect differences based on the location. Uh, but those are studies that are kind of easier to be done in, in, in animals because you can actually ramp up the numbers um, of tumors accordingly. Uh, but yeah, no, those are those are good points. We we haven't um, looked in detail at that. Um, yeah. Um, are you getting the samples just from the fecal matter, or when you resect parts of the pancreas or open up the uh, animal itself, are you literally seeing and culturing bacteria that are, you know, in situ at that moment, if possible? Yeah, that's exactly what we've done. So, um, so fr from the patients, as I mentioned before, we compare the stools with resected tumor and resected adjacent areas. And from the mice, um, of course, since we have the uh, flexibility of obtaining more more tissue, we we usually, you know, we will look at the stools and then um, certainly, you know, the, the, the tumor and then different areas within the pancreas um, and then also different areas of the duodenum or, you know, small intestines. Yeah. So what have you noticed about the uh, microbial constituents of tumors? How do they differ from the uh, the overall pancreas microbiome? Yeah, so so the, the study we designed is we, we thought if tumors uh, microbiome are important and relevant and if you know, we'll have to look at some association between, start by looking at association between certain bacteria and sort of tumor, uh, you know, like patient's outcomes. So unlike other, um, you know, tumor types in which you can actually, you know, compare patients that, you know, do respond to certain therapies versus those who don't, uh, you know, in pancreatic cancer, that's much harder uh, to do. So so we thought we, we can actually look at the patients that do survive long term, uh, which although they are very few, they are, you know, one in like 50 uh, or so. Um, no, and by long term, I mean patients who, who live more than five years after resection, you know, with an average of like 10 years. Uh, you know, for pancreatic cancer, that's really considered long term. Um, and we compare them with matched uh, control patients who live less than five years with an average of like, you know, one year and a half after resection. All these patients, of course, uh, went for surgery, so they had early uh, disease uh, diagnosis, either stage one or two. So... Um, we compare those two groups of patients, um, and you know, because we knew this, you know, this was a kind of new area uh, of research. We we wanted to have a second cohort to sort of validate these findings, so we had a second cohort. Our first cohort, the discovery cohort, was from our institution, from MD Anderson, but then we were um, very lucky to to keep uh, in contact with, um, you know, Johns Hopkins group where I did my uh, fellowship training, and you know, through Laura Wood. Uh, there, we were able to, to access also um, a cohort from Hopkins of long-term survivors and short-term survivors. And um, what we, we found basically is that uh, in both cohorts, the tumor diversity 
in patients that uh, lived long-term was much higher uh, than those patients that lived uh, short-term. So um, uh, basically, the, the diversity, or also called alpha diversity of, of microbiome, means the heterogeneity of microbes um, within a tissue of studies. So in this case, basically, what we find is that Patients who live long-term, they just have more heterogeneous um, microbiome, like like di different types of uh, species within uh, the tumor. Um, this 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 was uh, this described before for as a kind of beneficial or a positive uh, predictive uh, biomarker in the gut also. So in previous work, looking at gut microbiome, higher diversity was also correlated with better outcomes. But, but we did find um, similar outcomes, but this is in, in terms of tumor microbiome. So this have is you, uh, yeah. Have you looked at the microbiome of normal mice's pancreases versus, uh, you know, ones with tumors and then tumor versus the rest of the pancreas? Have you looked at those comparisons? Yeah, we did look at that, but the, the tumor microbiome of normal mice it's, uh, it's it, I mean, you can amplify, but it's not, it doesn't, you know, you don't have as many bacteria as when you have a tumor. Even the adjacent area of a tumor have different microbiome than the normal pancreas in complete absence of, of tumors. So, you know, in, in, instead of what we did, is we've, we did focus on the tumor microbiome itself. Um, what you're asking is certainly, you know, something that, that we are looking at uh, right now, but it, it's, we don't have conclusions about, you know, normal versus normal adjacent, um, you know. But, but yeah, we did, we did focus the study on the tumor microbiome itself, mostly because those were the samples, you know, on patients that we had, you know, available. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of questions here. If you look at metastases, you know, and you mm -hmm. compare their microbiomes, versus their constituent organs. Yeah, I mean, exactly. There's that to look at. There's, as the tumor grows, you know, does the microbiome change? If the tumor is yeah. more heterogeneous versus homogeneous? Correct. You know, I mean, there's just tons of things to look at, it sounds like. Yes, yeah, there's been a couple of publications, one of them from, from uh, George Miller, who looked at um, the, the sort of microbiome progression over time uh, in mouse models in which, you know, Keras is um, activated. So yeah, that, that's and then the metastasis versus primary certainly is an it's an uh, important question that should be answered. So yeah, a lot of you know very interesting questions are are coming out. Well, what's the goal here? So if you see that you know a larger diversity of microbiome appears to correlate with better outcomes, why is that? Because yeah. no one bacteria is able to take a hold take hold and disturb the homeostatic state of the rest of the microbiome and the organ itself, or what do you think is the, the reason? Yeah, that? well, I mean, the question about why diversity or high diversity is better, I don't think it's been answered so far, right? It's a, it's a concept, and most of studies point in that direction, but I don't, I don't think we yet have any answer. I mean, I would just say, of course, you know, if you have a predominant um, bacteria, you know, therefore lower diversity of that bacteria is sort of pathogenic, then you could explain why those patients will have worse outcomes, but um, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, there, there, there are um, people who is mostly looking at, you know, KRAS really inducing like dysbiosis and that dysbiosis sort of determining that diversity, or there are other um, groups who are more, you know, thinking that it's not the dysbiosis or the kind of, you know, complexity of the microbiome, but it's rather the, the increase of, you know, relative species, which may have a, you know, sort of pathogenic role 
uh, that matters. So I don't think we know. You know, that has to be tested experimentally, and it's not you know very easy to do. Yeah, and then the um, the bacteria are they forming a biofilm? Is there any morphology to their presence around the tumor, and does that correlate with the morphology of the tumor? Right. Yeah, well, that's a little bit different. I mean, the biofilms are easy to be seen, you know, like within the color, within, you know, other type of more like flat surfaces. Um, within the tumors, it's a little bit different. You know, it doesn't really have a clear biofilm, but but rather it's sort of, you know, heterogeneously uh, dispersed. And in our previous studies, we did not really look... Um, I mean, we we did do a couple of stainings to you know make sure the bacteria is present, and we also did grow you know bacteria to make sure that you know functionally we were able to rescue and you know have viability, but we have not characterized the kind of physical um, you know spatial uh, location of the bacteria. That's something that we are doing you know right now to understand you know what areas of the tumors are the bacteria located. You know what cells are primarily you know attaching to it or engulfing it. Yeah, and then I guess tumor microbiome, sorry, tumor microenvironments, I guess, become anoxic or hypoxic as the tumor grows. I wonder if that selects for, you know, anaerobic bacteria that are able to live near the tumor, and perhaps it's very different from the, you know, the the surrounding microbiomes. I don't know. Yeah, those are great questions. And, you know, again, um, those, you know, harder questions to answer, you know, uh, from patient specimen because, you know, we don't get, you know, a lot, like, we, it's hard to get, you know, like, different areas of the tumors. Um, but from, you know, in murine studies, that could actually be, be looked at. Yeah, very, 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 very good uh, points. Yeah. So what, what's your speculation from here? Like, where do you take the research and what kind of answers are you well, hoping to get? Yeah, well, I mean, there are like basically two points here. You know, on one hand, you know, in our study, we we did find that, you know, besides the diversity finding, the patients who lived long term, they also had a signature um, of microbes in the tumor. And, you know, from that perspective, you know, our our main question is, you know, is is this the egg or the chicken? So are are these bacteria just a biomarker of, you know, better, um, you know, responses to, you know, the treatment? You know, all these patients had a resection. So, you know, it's just a marker of, like, better immune activation or, you know, have those bacteria been implicated actually in, you know, sort of anti-tumoral responses. So we are doing those studies now, you know, trying to understand, you know, are they just a biomarker or do they actually have a functional importance in the pathogenesis of cancer? Um, That is on one hand. And then on the other hand, we, we also want to sort of understand, you know, if modulation of the of the tumor microbiome can also, you know, change outcomes. Um, you know, the idea is, you know, if throughout the progression of pancreatic cancer and likely other cancers, you know, the, the gut microbiome gets disturbed and, you know, through an access, it sort of changes the tumor microbiome and that ends up, you know, suppressing the immune system. Can you actually, you know, modulate that gut microbiome or normalize it with the idea that that will normalize, you know, the, the tumor um, microbiome and, you know, kind of switch from immunosuppression to, a, you know, immunoactivation state? Those are the two um, areas that we plan to sort of focus. Yeah, I guess, well, I would think that there's probably communication going on between the microbial constituent and the cells that make up its host. Yeah. Maybe through exosomes, you know, EVs, that kind of thing. Um, and then the immune system itself, I mean, it, you're right, you don't know, depending on the 
microbial constituent of a given tumor? Does it help it hide from the immune system? Does it do the opposite? Correct. Right. Correct. Can you intervene? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we are very interested on sort of the those potential, right, as you mentioned, sort of intermediates, right? It may not ultimately be the bacteria itself, but it might be, you know, like metabolites, you know, secret proteins um, that really are the ones that ultimately, you know, have this effect on the immune system. Um, so, yeah, we, it, it, it's, a, it's a complex process. You know, it's not just a change of bacteria that it's going to make a difference. It, it's, a, it's a lot more complex process. Well, just the fact that a tumor has a different microbiome from its surroundings means that the bacteria are there because it's a preferential state for them. They're getting something from those cells. You know, those cells are different. The, the signature of those cells is is, uh, is producing a different microbiome that's attracted to those cells. Right. I mean, that's one way, I guess, to call out the fact that it's that it's a tumor is to see that difference. But, hmm. yeah, and I, yeah, I guess it's a difficult puzzle to figure out. Exactly. Yeah. What comes first? And yeah, it's it's the complexity or is in the individual. Yeah, it's a lot of questions. But yeah, we're we're trying to like structure the questions and you know try to answer in a very kind of stepwise you know way. Well, I don't know if you're allowed to speculate, but you know, what does your gut instinct tell you might be at play here? Well, I I, I like to you know have all the hypotheses and sort of you know experiment them in, in parallel. We so so. I really don't think that it's going to be, you know, one or two bacteria that are going to be, you know, the relevant ones, just like like the examples that we found on the long-term survivors. I, I think, you know, certainly the fact that diversity, um, you know, is across the, the, the both cohorts and in other tumors, you know, it's, it's important, uh, you know, makes me think that it's a combination of things. On one hand, um, you know, you, you may need that um, diversity of bacteria and that kind of heterogeneity um, of bacteria so that there are few bacteria that are actually, you know, predominant, especially if those are pathogenic bacteria. And on the other hand, you may also need the presence of certain bacteria that may have, you know, a kind of immunoactivating uh, property. So, so the, you know, my gut feeling is that you may have to target sort of both diversity and also, you know, the, the specific good bacteria should be increased and the, you know, specific sort of protomorogenic bacteria should be lowered. So it's it's a pretty complex process. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to manipulate in that way the, the, the microbiome, but at least that's kind of my idea. Well, it seems like the biggest way to manipulate the microbiome is to change the diet of the, you know, of the mouse or the person or whatever it is and control their diet. I mean, if mm -hmm. you have, you know, several different mouse cohorts with pancreatic cancer and you change their diets, I would figure that would be the way to affect it, uh, you know, most of all, if possible. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, those are things we have to test. I mean, you know, primarily you could compare, you know, the, the, the transfer of, you know, normal um, microbiome from like another mouse that has no tumors and then compare that with just the, the diet. You know, I'm not sure if the diet alone will be enough to kind of reverse, you know, the the, uh, the dysbiosis to like a normal state and keep it. Um, and especially, you know, mice, we, we can actually do this early on, but, you know, on patients, once the microbiome has been so altered, I'm not sure if the diet alone will be enough to, you know, revert the dysbiotic, you know, process and kind of normalize it and keep it normal. But those are all things that have to be, yeah, tested. They are very, very important questions. And then the question of you know, how often we need to do this, because, you know, if, if you just normalize, that might not be enough, right? Especially if you still have the tumor. 
that that might be a good strategy on patients that are going for surgery, for instance, in which you know you do that change prior to surgery, and then you know, the idea is once you don't have the tumor, you should not have this biosis any further. Right. right. What's a, you said way early on in the call that um, some people are at high risk for pancreatic cancer. What what causes people to be high risk? What's been observed? Yeah, so basically it's patients that either have some genetic mutations like germline mutations that predispose them. They have basically higher susceptibility for certain cancers. For example, the you know BRCA1, BRCA2 patients, especially the BRCA2. Uh, also, patients with like STK11, this is called the Putz Jagger syndrome, and others. Um, these are you know genetic syndromes uh, that basically predispose the patients to, to cancers, like in this case pancreatic cancer. Um, that's that's one population, and then also patients with a strong family history for pancreatic cancer, like you know like two um, first degree relatives, you know, like brother and father, or father and you know a first degree to them, like an uncle. Um, so two relatives in the family, and um, you know, likely, you know, puts the patient at, at also high risk for disease. So the, our idea is, you know, we want to. I mean, this is not only happening here. There are several centers, you know, in the states that are conducting um, screening on these high-risk populations. The idea, you know, is to test patients that have, you know, higher uh, risk than general population, and you know, put them on a yearly uh, screening program, and you know. Basically, long term, you know, we, we are trying to look at biomarkers, uh, you know, of disease so that we can expand this potentially one day to general population from a, you know, very simple circulating marker, et cetera. Right. Um, what about people that have had pancreatitis? Does that predispose yeah. them? Yeah, so so definitely pancreatic uh, pancreatitis is a risk factor um, for um, pancreatic cancer. So patients with pancreatitis. Um, in our institution, because it's a it, you know, it's a cancer center, we, most of our patients uh, that had pancreatitis, for instance, they also have other of the risk factors. You know, they either have um, a genetic you know mutation or they also have a, um, a family history. Um, but yes, I know of other places in which you know pancreatitis is a sole um, risk factor. You know, and those those patients are also screened annually. Um, also. Um, new onset diabetes has been linked with um, pancreatic cancer early onset. So, in other words, you know, diabetes is also a risk factor for uh, pancreatic cancer, but it can also be a, an early red flag. So, um, we also add that criteria to our to our cohort. So, you know, patients that may have a mutation that elevates the risk, but not as much. If they also have new onset diabetes, then certainly they have a higher risk. So, we also screen them. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you in, in a different way. What um, when someone has pancreatic cancer, what happens to the the functionality of the pancreas? Do certain functions get compromised or amplified? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, the two main functions, you know, on one hand, you have the you know the release of enzymes to you know digest the food, and you know that certainly gets compromised. That's what you know most of patients are taking enzymes that helps them you know digest better the food, and then second, you know the the sort of management of the glucose in the body, the you know the redistribution and kind of you know through the secretion of insulin. So these. You know, this can also be altered, as I just said. That's why, you know, neonset diabetes could be, um, you know, a red flag for early pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, so someone with uh, pancreatic cancer, I guess they would have a harder time controlling their blood sugar in certain cases? Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. 
Yeah, I guess because yeah. it would impact the uh, insulin production. Okay, or delivery. Yeah, hmm. yeah. What's um, when you learned that there was a microbiome associated with the pancreas and with tumors? Like, what, what were your thoughts? Were you very surprised, or how did um, you react to it? Well, we so. I think because we started by finding these cells initially, and, and our main question was why do we have those cells there? Um, that sort of triggered us to, to start looking at this. And then when, when, we, did, when we did find uh, the bacteria, uh, that was around the same time that uh, Ravid found the bacteria on, on the pancreas too. And, you know, it was just, when we did find it by ourselves, you know, you always wonder is this a you know, real finding because it was certainly surprising. We always look at the pancreas as a sort of sterile organ. Uh, but we did take in consideration that tumors, you know, certainly have a different uh, physiology and, and physiopathology so that, you know, they could have, uh, you know, a microenvironment that is different than the regular, than the normal pancreas. Uh, but then, you know, looking at uh, Ravid's work, and then, you know, work from George Miller uh, and others, uh, you know, really uh, in, intensify that search, you know, for like specific bacteria, you know, within the human tumors. Yeah. Are you, are you working with any companies that have uh, pancreatic organoids? I never heard of such a thing. I know they have like heart organoids and brain ones, but has anyone made a pancreas and a chip for a pancreas organoid? I mean, yeah, there, so I'm not working with any company, but um, current, I mean, with, within a group of at MD Anderson, we are um, looking at opportunities to, to start something like this. We have not done it yet, but that's kind of in the horizon. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it would be a good, you know, uh, collaboration because you could say, all right, hey, we've, these are the microbes we've seen. Maybe you want to somehow add that to your pancreatic organoid and let us know right. what you see and, and vice versa, you know. It would be a good collab, it sounds like. Yes. No. Certainly. Many things, you know, come into our mind now after this study came out. So, yeah. All, I, all I've done is point out like a hundred more areas we have work to do, it sounds like. <laughs> it's wonderful. We, we are very excited with this. We have a lot of different directions we are, we are taking now. Yeah. And you, you've made yeah. all wonderful observations. So, with, yeah, with all these possibilities, like how do you decide what to target first? Like what have you decided is going to be the focus for the next, you know, year or two? What do you want to figure well, out? Well, the first, so, so we, we kind of split the work between, you know, trying to understand further mechanisms and delivery and how the, you know, bacteria get into the pancreas in the first place, et cetera, you know, more like using, you know, mouse models. But on the other hand, I don't want to delay, you know, sort of potential translation and implications. So on the other hand, we are, we are uh, looking into doing a very, you know, short-term um, trial on patients uh, in which, you know, we will do a very simple uh, change in the um, gut microbiome with the idea that, you know, if, if pancreatic cancer patients have a dysbiotic uh, gut microbiome, you know, just by restoring normal microbiome, that should affect, you know, the tumor microbiome and it should affect the, you know, immune activation state of the tumor. Um, so we will probably, you know, do a few patients and compare, you know, prior and posterior to the transplant, um, uh, you know, how do they tumors change. So it's a basically like proof of concept, uh, you know, trial on uh, patients just to see if only that change does it make, you know, does it change uh, any signal in the tumor. And then we will build from there, you know, we don't want to go to like large studies without, you know, having that simple question answered. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. What's the uh, the best way for people to find out more and to follow the progress and 
know, check in with, with your work in the lab and everything? Well, I mean, we have a, um, uh, I mean, at MD Anderson has, you know, website has, um, you know, a lot of these embedded into, you know, and we have a laboratory website also within MD Anderson site that um, usually tracks, you know, the news in the lab and the publications, et cetera. Okay. Well, very good. Anything else I, I should have asked you? No, I think you asked a lot of great questions. It was really, really fun talking with you. All right, Florence. Well, thank you for coming. I really, really appreciate it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.